Hey, everyone. Lots of you might think, wow, I have so many customers and you have like 20 or 40. Today, I have invited Samuel Bringas from the United States, who actually manages hundreds of customers in Latin America. First of all, Samuel, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Stay tuned. We're going to peel the onion on how exactly is he able to successfully manage so many customers and give you a preview of what it might look like for you if you were to actually start taking care of the smaller customer base. Hi, Samuel. So before we begin to explore how you manage hundreds of customers, tell me a little bit, how did you even get into customer success? Thank you for having me. I mean, I've been working for high-tech companies, technology companies for a long time, been dealing with customers all over the world. But as I moved to the United States, one of the issues that I found was that Latin America was kind of a place where not a lot of United States companies were you know, dealing directly with. There has been a lot of interaction with Latin America, but there has not been dedicated resources for it. And when I joined the current company, I took upon myself to hear our Latin American customers. And so I became a sole customer success manager only for Latin America. Back then, it was about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, today, the, the team is much larger. I'm, I'm managing the team. Yeah, that's how I started. And I want to emphasize, so before you became a customer success manager, by the way, you were working for a cyber company that's growing very fast. You were actually in account management, which is the cousin of customer success management, I would say. What do you see the big differences were once you switched roles? Were there any big differences? Well, I was mostly on the telecommunication side. So my pool of customers are a lot smaller. You only have so many telecommunication companies in every country. So I can definitely tell you that my experience has been based on that. And because of that, I cannot express how different it is to work with enterprise customers or commercial customers. Again, when you're talking about telcos, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of employees and hundreds of thousands of of customers, it's a very different experience going from telecommunication into the enterprise and the smaller customer sized uh, companies. Yeah, no, I understand. So not only you switched companies, it also sounds like you switched variably like the customer base that you're dealing with today. So it's really hard to compare. It was actually a very hard, difficult decision when I made it because you're used to working with so very few customers and so very few Mm -hmm. people, but all of a sudden you get exposed not to tens, but hundreds or thousands of customers at one time. It's a little bit scary, but then, you know, you get you get the hang of it and you know that it is impossible to be as involved in this type of role. And from account management, where you really deep inside one specific customer in the telecommunication to deep into hundreds across the board, it's, it's very different. Wow. It's extraordinary. First of all, why did they hire you? You don't even have the exact background. Sounds like completely different companies. What made them think, yeah... Samuel Bingas can do it. Well, first of all, I do have a technical training background, which allowed me to be able to demonstrate how I can communicate really good with customers, how I can show them product and demos and talk to them about their issues and problems and be empathetic with our customers. So I think that was a key aspect of why they hired me. Obviously, trilingual, it helped a lot as well. And I mean, we did go through a very, very difficult technical challenge, and I was able to to perform, I would say, um, better than average. 
So that also contributed for them to consider me as a, as a new hire. Okay, so you jump into the deep end. Congratulations for like five years ago, making that leap of faith and believing in yourself that you could do something so different. It looks like you had training experience as a training instructor and a Spanish instructor back in your early days. So that background sounds like really helped you in delivering communications in a maybe a one-to-many format. What are the first things that you've done as a customer success manager to help you succeed in your role? Did you lean heavily on your training skills and your account management skills? I definitely leaned a lot into the training skills because I had to have a lot of conversations with customers about their products and how they worked and uh, situations that we're facing. So there was a lot of explaining to do. And when you explain, obviously, you need to know how to communicate. And the training part came in very, very handy. Now, on the back end of stuff, the project management or account management, obviously, it helped a lot because to be a, a successful customer success manager, you have to be an organized person. You need to be able to follow up with customers to make sure that what you say, you, you follow through. And a lot of the management skills, uh, the account management skills, they do shine in, in the customer success role. Because of that transition, I think it was it was a successful one. Yeah. So insofar, you end up in this role. What happens the first few months? How many customers do you get? By the way, this was five years ago. So just like to tell the story, because <laughs> I think it's really fascinating. You would move from handful of accounts to hundreds of accounts. Did you really receive hundreds of accounts in the first few months in your role? So as a trainee, I received the pooled uh, model, which means that I was dealing with hundreds, if not thousands of small requests coming in from customers while I was learning the trade and I was learning our product. So that obviously that helped me a lot to, to uh, learn about the product, learn about our customers, learn about the culture, learn about the methodologies. In a few months after, I, I was assigned to a region, more specifically the southeast of North America. And then I started dealing personally with a few hundred customers. From there onwards, it's just it's been a ride because now I'm in charge of the whole region and also in charge of the partner side of customer success. So we're talking about, again, thousands. But Latin well, America, it's, it's still hundreds. Wow. So, okay. So first of all, I want to clarify, they wouldn't have promoted you unless this was a successful endeavor. So let's scale back and like say, okay, you're a customer success manager and you say you were in a pooled model. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, how long have you stayed in the role? It was about three to four months that I stayed in this pool model. Again, while I was getting trained, while I learned the trade. Right after that, I got assigned the region. How many people or how many CSMs did they have in that pooled model constellation at that time? It was dynamic. Every every time we used to get a new CSM or a very expert CSM, by the way, because also they would pull some expert CSMs to help with very specific problems within uh, a product. So it was a combination between very new and very pros. It could be anywhere between three and 10 CSM at any given time. Got it. And some of them stayed in that pooled model because they were what we call SMEs. Correct. Subject matter experts. And some just graduated fairly quickly once they got comfortable with product, the type of questions they might be asked, and they felt like they're ready to own their own book of business, then they would be assigned. All right. So it didn't really feel, one of the questions I had about that pooled model experience, 
did it feel like a support role, a technical support manager role because you were in a pooled model or was it really like a customer success manager? It was more like a support role. Yeah, it was putting out fires. You, they, you would be brought in only when there are issues. And it definitely felt more like technical support, but it had some CSM aspects to it. So that's where you actually learn the trade. But yeah, it was putting out a lot of fires. What kind of things have you done that felt more like a CSM in that pooled model, if you don't mind my asking? I would say in the relationship side, having the conversation about product and not problems, having conversations about roadmap and not uh, issues. So I think that that was a more CSM-like conversations I had back then, which carried on into what we do today, right? It's more about the strategy and not about the issues. Were you allowed to be proactive during the your time in that pool model? I would say yes, but being proactive to shift the conversation towards a different department, mm-hmm. if it was sales engineering, if it was account executives. So yeah, I would open up the, the possibility of a next conversation in order to stabilize otherwise problematic uh, relationship. Versus a support ticket that you would be expected to close and then move on to the next. Well, yeah, of course, there were no support tickets because this is something done, you know, in the shadows, right behind the scenes. Okay, great. So four or five months later, you are assigned to your own region. And this is where you actually own a book of business of hundreds of customers in Latin America. For those of you who didn't get it yet, Samuel Bringas was born and raised in Latin America, fluent in Spanish. So it was a no brainer. That is right. While I was dealing with the southeast of the United States, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, and so on, I turned my head to the south and I started looking at customers down there. And I started helping out. I don't want to call it a hobby because obviously I'm getting paid for this, right? But it was very enjoyable because this was my language, this was my culture. So I started helping them out. And then before I realized, I saw myself emerge into Latin American customers only. And that's where I kind of let go of the U.S. aspect of my responsibilities and started dealing solely with Latin America. So I started a team of one people, one person in Latin America, and today we're a team of about four or five people for customer success only for Latin America. Wow, that's fairly impressive, I would say. So the company sounds like when you joined, didn't really have a spotlight on that region, but you, out of your own initiatives, started to cater to that region from passion, from connectivity, from your background. But I think that something happened. They were starting to seeing results that they haven't seen before. What happened? What did you do? Well, I mean, the company is a great company with a great product and the product was selling really well. I mean, it is still obviously selling really well in Latin America. They saw the need of a CSM and then once they had one, They saw that there was an uptick on renewals. They saw there was an uptick on expansion. And it was a no-brainer. Let's hire the second one. And then that was my first team. I had my first uh, report. And they saw again that it was picking up. And let's try it again. We hired a second region, which was Mexico. This has been proving itself again and again. And now, after four years, we're hiring the fifth person for Latin America. So it's a proven model in Latin America. We... Customer success management works in Latin America. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. They're very friendly and uh, people-oriented. So having a person dedicated to your account can't really be a bad thing, but you do have hundreds of them per CSM. So what is the exact ratio 
one to 300, one to how many? So the way that we do uh, customer success management is uh, we're, we're not proactively covering all customers. We're covering a very specific segment. So um, our ratios are anywhere between 1 to 10 to 1 to 40. Okay. Depending on, on the country, depending on the skill levels. So when you first were assigned to the region, you said I actually owned hundreds of accounts. <laughs> you know, as a CSM, that could be fairly overwhelming. How did you handle that? What were the first things that you've done in the your first few months to kind of create enough success in the region to get to the results that you have today where you have an actual team? As a sole contributor back then, I was tasked with a very difficult challenge, which was uh, how do I deal with all these customers, right? We're talking about hundreds. The first thing I had to do was make a list of priorities. Who should I care for first? Now, every customer is important, and uh, but there are some customers that are they need more attention or that they bring higher returns, right? A higher ARR. So it's very important also to cater to them especially. It had to be a decision where some got little left behind and some of them were heavily pushed from the beginning. Okay. So you looked at your entire customer base and you started prioritizing. How did you know if somebody needed more attention than another account? Well, it came down to either the interest of the company for that ARR, end of the spectrum, if the customer had a lot of issues because of them or because of us, then we had to pamper the customer in one way or another. So I was there to do that as well. It was either strategic in the money sense or relationship sense. So how did you communicate with them? Was there anything that you've done to allow some sort of communications to those who were not a high priority? Because it sounds like, and so correct me if I'm wrong, when you first got your book of business, you were actually giving a higher touch model to those who you needed to prioritize. But then what did you do with the other accounts? Well, I was the red button. If they have an issue, they can come to me. But those customers, I, I would not look for them proactively. I was there for them, the red phone, the red button, but I wasn't proactively looking for them. So did you email all of them and said, hey, I'm your new CSM. If there's any issues, feel free to reach out to me. And if they did, great, you would handle it. But if not, so it was kind of like a just-in-time type of enablement model. But then the ones that you have highlighted as needing more attention, you would actually provide them with a monthly touch point or a quarterly touch point or even a weekly, I guess, in some Yeah, way. correct, correct. In the beginning stages, I, I blasted all my customers with emails saying, hey, I'm here for you. You new assigned a CSM, whatever you need, I'm here for you. But then again, those that we wanted to keep a high touch or sorry, a low touch, consistent touch with that customer, then I would make other ways of you know coming to them on site, having phone calls with them bi-weekly or monthly basis. And that's how I actually finished the passport pages really quickly. Before yeah. the pandemic, I was traveling about 70% of the time. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. Well, all, all that I bet ended during the pandemic. What do you do then? How do you keep well, in touch? Do you still have to date just a higher touch with a significant account and a very active, just-in-time type of enablement model for the smaller accounts? Or did you develop something else to manage hundreds of accounts? So in the beginning of the pandemic, what we started doing was a lot of webinars. So invite all our customers to come into our webinars. And it was a way to try to keep engaged, right? And it, it actually worked. We had a 
hundreds of participants every single time. And we had like a weekly webinar about different subjects. If it was product related, methodology related, open question webinars, right? Or these webinars. Did you offer them specifically to the Latin American region? And if so, did you do it in their local language? Because even in Latin America, there's multiple languages. In the beginning, it was obviously Spanish, but because we do have a Brazilian customer okay. success manager, we were able to quickly replicate to Portuguese as well. Now, for other languages, French, it's a very small countries and they don't really require a lot of our help. And the only one country that speaks English in Latin America, ex excluding the Caribbean islands, they get a lot of help and information from the U.S. side where everything is in English and we didn't have to reinvent the wheel. We just sent them existing links and invited them to yeah. existing events. So you did offer it in their local language, essentially, Portuguese yeah. and Spanish. Correct. Do you feel like some of the topics that you chose were more popular or more in demand than others? This was like yeah, a bit yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, when we talk about strategy, it was packed full because you would bring not only the technical people, you would bring in the CISOs and the CIOs and the managing directors for you know, different uh, departments. And when you had uh, webinars which were technical oriented, well, only the technical people will join, right? So that, that was a huge difference. Okay, so it sounds like your strategy was to deliver content to each persona. And I think that's really smart. I don't know how many companies are actually coming up and say, all right, it's the pandemic or we're not going to travel as much. And we want to cater to hundreds of customers versus just the 10, 20% that are most significant to us. Let's do webinars. And then let's make sure that the webinars are actually catering to all the different key personas within that account. I think that was very smart. Did right. you offer anything else besides webinars now that you couldn't travel and do high touch anymore? Well, we, we continue doing those one-on-ones. We continue doing those meetings. We continue being the red button for all those CISOs and technical people yeah. whenever they had any issues. It was the same work that we did before, just a little less personal because we were not traveling there anymore. But eventually I did see an optic of improvement of relationships because now you don't have to plan your travel. You can just date in the calendar and that's it. You're virtually there, right? I did see an optic on that closeness between customer and CSMs. I think it made it a lot better. And now mm -hmm. maybe to the point where it's expected more than before. We're expected to be there more for our customers because we've been there with them for the past two years nonstop. Absolutely. So somehow, somebody's going to inherit a book of business of hundreds of accounts. What would you recommend them to do besides webinars and prioritization and maybe segmentation of their book of business? Well, as a manager, I would say you have to be organized and make sure that you're looking at the KPIs from your CSMs that are coming from the customers. That's key. And the digital contributor as a CSM, I would say again, be extremely organized. Make sure that you're keeping up with the trends of, the, of their industries and see where they're going. Because we're not just talking about cybersecurity here, right? We're talking about anything SaaS, anything customer success. So you have to keep up with the trends of, of your customers and know also who your contacts are. Make sure that you're keeping an open line of communication with your customers. But you have 600 customers as a CSM. How would you know all your contacts and how would you keep up with their different industries? That's right. like, I mean, I appreciate the advice, but if I had 20 accounts, totally. 600, right. that's a bit much. Well, I mean, I don't wish anybody to inherit 600 customers at once. I know some that do, um, or 300, even 75. Right, right, right. I mean, I don't deal personally with 600 accounts. I deal with a lot more than that. 
But again, as a manager, I do have a team of extraordinary CSMs that they have their smaller book of business and they are very proactive with them. For the rest of the customers, the only way we can approach them is either like the one-to-many approach with webinars, making sure that they know that there is somebody, there is a group out there that's willing to listen to them, that's willing to help them out when they have an issue or if they have any questions or concerns with the product, with the roadmap where they're heading. That would be my best recommendation. So when you hire a customer success manager to manage that region, you're looking for folks that are highly organized, proactive, that know the language and the culture, I assume. That sounds Correct. like something that's very important. Correct. And if they are technical savvy, that's a huge plus. Especially for cyber. I think that you got to speak the CISO's language, obviously. Correct. Correct. Okay. That's really interesting. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. I think from your standpoint, you can kind of share what helped you as a manager of a region too, to kind of hire the right team and manage two KPIs and offer someone to many. But I think the key is really to have your CSMs prioritize their book of business, reach out to all of the accounts, but then cater at a higher touch to those significant accounts. That is correct. Just make sure that everybody knows you exist. Yeah. And if they need you, they they know where to find you. When you look at when you started working with the Latin American region, to now five years later when you manage a team that oversees that region. Have you seen any improvement since you started managing the region in customer satisfaction? And what would you contribute as a success since you started managing the region? What kind of impact did you have on the region? Well, yeah, there has been a huge uptick in uh, what we would call success. And it's mostly, I would would attribute it mostly to an amazing team, first of all. But it has to do a lot with expectation setting, making sure that the customers know exactly what to expect and that we know exactly what they're expecting from our product. Think once we can match those two things together, there is no way for anything to go wrong. How many times have we heard about the story of a customer that five years after they purchased a the product, they still believe that the product they purchased did not solve their problems. In reality, maybe we have the problem is who's been keeping track of that advancement of the coverage of the gap between the problem and the solution. And I think that has been a key aspect of improvement. Yeah, I think that's really, really an important point. So if anybody is listening to this video and inherits a new region, these are the kind of things you want to focus on. You want to focus on, are you giving your customers the right message? Are you talking about your product correctly? Are you setting expectations correctly? Do you have the the right amount of people assigned to those accounts? Do they know how to prioritize them? How do you add value to the hundreds of accounts that can't afford a a frequent touch point? Do you have your customer success managers reach out to them and remind them that they are there for a just-in-time engagement model? So I think all of these points are really valid. Yes, yes. And having a a digital team, you know, that can have outbound communication with all the customers in a digital manner, obviously tracking advancements of the usage of the product automatically, right? So we can trigger different kind of events for different kind of playbooks. Again, making sure that not not only the account, but the account team, it's very important that they also know that you're there. If you're looking inwards into your own company, you have to make sure that your own internal regional team, they know of you, they know how you can help. Because in many cases where we are not the front, the person in front of the customer, somebody else will be. If it's an account executive, it's a sales engineer, 
So it's important for them to know that, hey, there is somebody within my own company that can help me improve my uh, relationship with my customer. So you have a tool to track usage data. And do you also have a customer success solution that you're using to feed that usage data so that your team is aware when usage data drops or there's any issues? We do. That's excellent. And then you also mentioned KPIs and making sure that the other teams understood what your job was. Does your team own upsell and cross-sell? Do they have to actually leverage an, a sales team for the financial transactions? So we mostly own renewals and expansion. So and obviously making sure that the product is adopted. Yeah. So adoption, renewal, and expansion. This was really fascinating to hear all the different things. I was going to ask you what kind of campaigns you send those customers to make sure that it hits the spot because sometimes I'm a member of a bank, right? I have a bank account and they start, sometimes they send me emails about like, oh, here's a checking account for little kids. I'm like, my kids are in college. Like, why are you even sending me this? And so sometimes I think there's there should be a lot of cautiousness around, you know, what emails you're actually sending each account. And so I wonder if you feel like sometimes those emails are a complete miss or you have like a, a secret sauce on how to make sure you send them the so right. We have a whole department that deals with that specific part of the business, right? Those digital digital campaigns. Yeah. And I think they're all very spot on, right? With invitations for different events or FYIs on product utilization or new versionings. And I think they all help in, in their own different way. Got I don't think there's any misses there. Yeah. So you actually have a separate account for that. I think that's smart. Sometimes companies assign that to the customer success team. And I think that's such a big miss. It's somewhere. still within the customer success department, but it is their own side of the business. Yeah. Well, I actually could see how marketing might own it as part of customer marketing team versus a lead generating team, because you actually absolutely need to have some marketing skills. I had one client that actually brought someone from marketing to be under their team. And then they've done a lot of campaigns and they've done a lot of like blitz campaigns, like call campaigns on different things. And they really help the team out in having the right collateral and enablement. I think it's really valid to have somebody like that in the CS ops team for a customer success team in general. Agree. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you in this conversation. It's really fascinating when you hear people manage hundreds of accounts. I want to thank you for sharing the reality. This is how it works. You know, this is how you can actually do this. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure sharing my experience with you and with all your audience. Hope this uh, helps them.